All right. Welcome to Dirt to Dollars podcast. I'm your host, Corey Hayden, along with co-host Jack Carter. Join us as we uncover the strategies and stories behind turning raw land into a profitable venture. Today is going to be talking about uh, what kind of we were discussing before, Jack, the 30,000 foot view of land flipping. What is land flipping? What does it entail? You know, the actionable uh, steps that it actually takes to get a uh, land flip. And between you and I, we were talking before, we kind of, um, we could break it down somewhere between six and nine steps. It really just depends. You could kind of intermingle <laughs> some of them. Um, but yeah, it's somewhere between six and nine steps. Really simple stuff here. We're going to outline it um, in detail. We'll, we'll dive further in. But before we even get into the technical stuff, and, and we mentioned this on the last episode, Jack, um, we were talking about it, and you and I have talked about it before, the the technical aspect of land flipping, right? So I'll go over some of the, te the technical aspects right now. The technical aspects is like identifying a market, pulling leads, uh picking a marketing channel, whether that's sending mail or cold calling, whatever, uh, talking with sellers and negotiating, getting your deals and then selling it, right? That's kind of six just off the cuff. That's a general outline of land flipping. Um, but before you even get into any of that, um, and you literally just said this right before we started the episode, you got to go into this thing, believing that you can even do it, right? Like that's step, that's like the pre-step to taking your first actionable step um, in land flipping. And it sounds, I don't know what cliche maybe to say, well, you got to believe in yourself. But I have talked to so many people who have started this or attempted to start. And you can tell when they're going in, they don't even think it's real. They don't think it's possible. They've got a negative outlook and they send some mail or they spend some money, they do some cold calls and then they don't get a deal. And they're like, yep, yeah, see, it doesn't work. It's not real. Like, I can't do this. You got to go right. into this thing believing you can even do it. Jack and I and really anybody else who's doing this business can teach you all the technical aspects about land flipping. You, you can learn it all. But I can't teach you how to believe or have faith that this is even possible. Right. Oh, so, 100%. I mean, those are the pre-steps, we'll call them, right? Yeah, the pre-steps to the technicalities. Uh, number one, like Corey said, you got to believe in yourself. You, you're seeing two goombas on the screen right here who managed to make it happen. You can do it too. We're going to preach that every single episode. You can do it too. So it starts there. And then the other pre-step uh, is educating yourself, just as Corey mentioned as well. You don't want to go in and start trying to identify markets and pull leads and, and spend hard-earned money on, on that and other platforms and tools that you're going to be using without actually understanding what all this entails, um, what's necessary in terms of the workload, and ultimately, you know, what your goals are with this. So yeah. belief in yourself and also educating yourself, those are the pre-steps. And you can educate yourself for free by listening to podcasts like this. Uh, there's dozens and dozens of others uh, podcasts like ours that talk about land investing and development, etc. Um, tons of free content on YouTube. Um, there's also paid courses that you can pay for um, who, you know, that do a really good job and taking you through all of this. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, believe in yourself, educate yourself. And then at that point, I think you're ready to go through the six kind of technical steps of actually making this happen. Um, so Corey, you kind of ran through those already, but step number one, let's start there. Um, you got to identify a market, right? Yeah. Where are you actually going to go get a deal? And you don't want to just send mail or make phone calls to any random market. Um, you want to make sure it's a market where land is actually in demand and where it's selling. How do you figure that out? Yeah. Well, again, tons of free tools. You got Zillow, you got Redfin, you have Landwatch. I mean, multiple others that we could mention as well, where you can go in and start to kind of, you know, maybe you start with your home state. Maybe you start with a state that you've been more familiar with. And, and just a disclaimer, this business model works anywhere, right? It's not like it, it works only in Florida and not in South Carolina. It works anywhere. So kind of start by picking a state. Um, I often like to tell people, you know, your backyard is, is a good place to start. Um, and you're really what you're looking for, again, is land that's in demand, areas where it's selling, right? So start there. I like to tell people, and Corey, I think you feel the same way, a really good indicator is just looking at the last 90 days, the last three months of activity. So you can use a tool like Zillow, you can use a tool like Redfin, whatever else, and you're looking for what kind of land has sold, how much of it has sold, and what types have sold in the last 90 days in a given area. Um, so for me, for you know, just to kind of put pen to paper here and give an example, I'm from Colorado, I could pull up Colorado on, on Zillow. I could kind of filter for land that's been sold in the last 90 days or less. Um, you'll start to see, you know, those little dots popping up on the screen. In Zillow's case, they're all little yellow dots. You can start to kind of visually identify areas where land is obviously selling and where the market's hot. Um, you kind of zoom in, you start poking around a little bit. One thing I like to do once I've identified more of like a subsection of a larger area is to also filter out, well, what, you know, size of land is selling out here more than others. Uh, maybe you filter for, Hey, is most of the land out here one acre or above, or maybe between one to five acres, whatever it may be, start identifying that kind of thing too. Yeah. Um, and at that point, you've got a solid market. Uh, you know, I don't want to go way too down into a rabbit hole with this, but there's other indicators that you can use for this as well. I like to use a, um, a, a little indicator called sell-through rate, which is essentially how much land, uh, you know, turns over in a given amount of time, right? So you can look at a 90-day, you know, how many lots of land have sold in the last 90 days? Let's say it's 10 and how many are currently on sale? Let's say it's 10. That would give you a sell rate of 100%, a sell through rate, I should say, of 100% in that three month period, meaning 100% of the listings in three months get sold within three months, right? Yeah. And you can do that for six months, you can do that for one month, et cetera. The higher the sell through rate, the better the market, that means land is turning over well and it's not just sitting on market for you know a while or whatever given amount of time. Yeah. So again, I kind of want to 
Yeah. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I definitely no, want fine. to chime in. I definitely want to chime in on that. It's interesting because you and I, you know, kind of look at how to pick a market in, in the same way, but even the way you look at some of the data and like the way you were just talking about it, it's still, it's different than the way I look at it. Like I don't right. use percentages and what was that term you use? Buy through flip rate sell, or something? Sell through rate. Yeah. Sell through rate for short. Yeah. Yes, and I've never, I've never even heard of it mentioned like that. But I kind of, I mean, I look at it the exact same way. But I want to just simplify this uh, from from my point of view uh, for anyone who's listening who truly is new to this, um, because when I when I get on like consult calls with people, which I still do here and there, um, or when I'm just trying to have a conversation, there's always a huge hangup in picking a market. There is, yep. and and I get it, right? There is a lot more nuance. And factors and things to consider than just the things that we're going to mention, but all of the nuance you'll learn in time after evaluating markets, analyzing properties, doing deals, you'll just, it's so nuanced, but I want to simplify this for sure. Supply and demand is the easiest way to pick a market. And the easiest way to do that, like Jack was saying, is to let's just say you start in your backyard, right? And and I am a big fan of telling people to start in your backyard. That's your city, your town, your county, whatever. It's great to start in your backyard, especially if there's actually like land sales going on because you know the area, you're a local. This is not talked about enough, first off, and I know this is kind of a tangent, but the big push on social media and everything is virtual. Everything is virtual, which you can you can do all of this virtually. Uh, with a cell phone and a laptop, you can be in Pennsylvania and flip land and in California, right? But the benefit that you have to being in your own backyard is that you can talk about the area you live in because you're from there. You're going to have an automatic leg up with rapport building and being able to relate to your sellers because you can mention street names, high schools, the local grocery stores, you name it. You can talk about it like you know what you're talking about and you do because you live there. Uh, so that was my little tangent on that. But the second part is supply and demand. It's really easy from a number standpoint. If you get in your county on Zillow and you see that 100 vacant lots are listed for sale and you only see that 25 have sold in the last six months or three months or whatever metric, whatever time frame you want to use, that's not a good area to be in because there's way more supply than there is demand. Now just flip it. If you pick a county or a city and you see that there's 500 lots that have sold in the last 90 days and there's only 25 lots for sale, you're in a that's an extremely hot market. Now making the numbers uh, extreme to prove the point, but all you really need to look for is supply and demand. How much supply is there currently on the market of vacant lots for sale and what's the demand for it? If I list something, is it gonna sell or is it gonna sit here forever? with the other 500 lots that are listed for sale. I really just wanted to throw that in there and simplify for all the people who are brand new because take picking a market should not take you a month. Mm -hmm. You should be able to pick your market, especially as a beginner and where we value taking action, massive, massive, imperfect action. Just figure it out as you go. You should be able to plug these numbers in or, or, or take this data and, and look at 10 different counties and pick a market today. Yep. So 100%. That's, my, that's my take on that. Yep. And that supply demand uh, part that you just mentioned, first of all, spot on, but secondly, directly relates to that sell through rate. 
Uh, the yeah. sell-through rate is basically the math behind that supply and demand, where the yeah. higher the sell-through rate that you're getting, the more advantageous that ratio between supply and demand is for you, right? Yeah. Um, so, Corey, you explained that very well. Guys, you know, picking markets, it could be as difficult or as easy as you want it to be. When I was first starting, I was... I mean, I spent, I think, probably two weeks doing all this research, analyzing, had this big spreadsheet, and finally picked a market. Um, and I think it did all right. But at the end of the day, guys, again, this business model works anywhere. If you identify a good area as far as supply and demand is concerned, land is selling out there, you know, what kind of pocket you want to hit pull the leads and send the mail, which is kind of our next uh, point. And, yeah. you know, Corey, one other, one other thing I do want to mention about identifying a market before we move on uh, to step number two here is, you know, we described it in a really simple way. Hop on Zillow, hop on Redfit, just go identify where land is selling and then start to kind of, um, you know, iterate from there. But, you know, another thing you could do is Google where are people moving? Where are houses being built? Right? You want to you want to identify uh, markets where there's actually demand, not just for land, but ultimately what's going to be built on top of that land, which is a house, which might be a mobile home or a modular. Um, in some cases, might be commercial kind of stuff. But it's really could be the start of this for you and your journey for the listeners watching and listening. It literally could be Googling where are people moving in the United States in 2024, right? Yeah, you could start there, right? And, and so anyways, don't overcomplicate it at the end yeah. of the day. I think it's, and last uh, thing, I and I do want to say one more thing, you know, before we move on to the next step, which is pulling your leads. Um, this was mentioned by, uh, I think it was Jack and, and Jill from the Land Academy. And I listen yep. to them all the time. I mean, they are truly like, first off, if you're listening to us, and you're not listening to the Land Academy, you're wrong. You got to go listen to them too. I mean, they are like the yep. OGs of land flipping. They have been flipping land since like the 90s. Okay, that's yep. their whole business model. Um, thousands of deals. But anyway, I listened to a podcast one time and they had mentioned, they said, you know, when you're new, you're picking a market, it's scary, it's complex, it all seems so crazy. They're like, you will learn far more by sending a mailer to a county or a zip code and then taking the phone calls and evaluating the properties, you'll learn everything you need to know about how to price, how to comp, how to make offers, where you need to be at on your offer in order to sell it. You'll learn all that by the action that you take after sending out the mail. I mean, you can analyze data on Google, Landwatch, Realtor.com, all these websites, and your brain will just spin and spin and you'll go, I just don't get it, right? But if you just say hell with it, you pick a city, you send the mail, after 15 phone calls, after 15 conversations, um, evaluating 15 different properties and seeing what they're selling for and what you, you know, making offers, you'll go, oh, I get this. I understand the pricing in this area now. I understand what land is selling for in this zip code in this neighborhood. I mean, I did exactly that in Little Rock, Arkansas. I never mailed there before. I got like a hundred phone calls. After the first 15 calls, 
uh, and properties, I was like, dude, I get it. Lots in this neighborhood sell for a max of $5,000. I would have never learned, like, figured that out having just mm -hmm. tried to evaluate everything on, on Zillow. You know what I'm saying? So, yep. you know, I say all that to just make the point, like you'll learn more by doing than by, by analyzing and reading books and, and spreadsheets. And you know what I'm saying? Like, just do it, just do it. hundred percent. Like, listen, if you guys are going to get involved in this space, um, Obviously, there's a little bit of startup capital involved, and most of that's just on your marketing on the front end. And again, you could overcomplicate this as much as you want. You could spend a month picking uh, a market, or you could go in, take a look at a little bit of data, make sure the supply and demand look good, looks good, pull some leads and get the mail out, make the phone calls. Yeah. It's really that simple, and Corey nailed it. The best way that you're going to learn in this space and frankly any other space is by doing not by sitting back reading analyzing watching videos like this listening to podcasts you're going to learn by doing so yeah. get out and do it pick a market and, that, and that'll take us right into the next you know because certainly we could probably spend if we really wanted to we could spend a whole episode on picking a market and we could pull up you know the data i think we should we could we could, yeah. but I, I definitely want to give the listeners and everyone who's just starting out, um, like we talked about that, the 30,000 foot view, you know, you do these seven things and you actually do it. I'm not, you don't theorize, you do it. <laughs> if you do these yeah. things, you will get deals. So the next part is uh, pulling your leads, right? And I'll, I'll yeah. I guess, start with that. Um, there's a million places to pull leads, right? In 2024, I'm making up these numbers. But it seems like everybody and their cousin has a data providing website and everyone's everyone's coming up. You know, I, I could probably name 25 right now. Um, but here's the thing. There's only a couple places to get your leads that are truly, in my opinion, one, credible, like reputable um, and worth, you know, if you're new, I should say, I guess you should you should be getting them from here. That's list source. List source, like CoreLogic. I think CoreLogic is kind of the umbrella that owns list source and some of the a couple other data providers. Um, list source is, is the best in my opinion. I think it's like eight cents per lead. So like, I'm just gonna hypothetically make some stuff up. You pick a zip code, you filter in vacant land and you see there's 5,000 vacant lots in this zip code. You're gonna spend eight cents per record and you're gonna get the property address, the owner's name and the owner's mailing address in an Excel mm -hmm. spreadsheet. That's what we say when, or that's what we mean when we say pull a list. Cause I get it. Like when you're brand new, I've told people, Hey, go pull a list. They're like, what do you mean? Pull a list. What is that? What is a list? Like, <laughs> what is that? That's a list. You want the first name, last name, the property address, you know, the vacant lot, and then their mailing address. So that way you can send these people something in the mail. Um, so pulling leads is as simple as going to listsource.com. And again, I can't tell you the specifics of all the filters and everything. YouTube, get on YouTube. YouTube has tutorial videos on how to filter lists using list source. There's dozens of them. I mean, I watched them three years ago when I started. I watched a Max Maxwell video where Max Maxwell walked me through pulling a list on list source step by step. And I would watch mm -hmm. him for five seconds, pause it, do that step, watch him for five seconds, pause it, do the next step, do that. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, again, yep. all about taking action. But list source is definitely where you want to get your your leads from, in my opinion. There's some free ones. For, well, PropStream's not free, but I would say PropStream is next. And you can talk yep. about PropStream because you have PropStream. Um, that would probably yep. be the next big one, in my opinion, is PropStream. So, Jack, you can talk about that one. Yeah, I mean, very similar to list source, PropStream is just another platform. And and to give you guys more of a background of how this how this like works and where these tools actually get their data in order to provide it to us as the end user, is every single county in the United States, in every single state, they have what's called a property appraiser's office, right? They keep a record of every single real property in that county from vacant land to, um, you know, plots of land that have houses developed on top of it to commercial buildings and everything in between, right? Even all of the state-owned streets and the state-owned, you know, parks, right? It's all kept in what's, you know, called the property appraisers database. These companies like ListSource and PropStream, they pull all of that data from all of the counties over, you know, the entirety of the United States, right? So it's basically they're pulling in, in bulk all of the information on, on every single piece of property in a given county, including the owner's name, including what the lot last sold for, including what the property appraiser has it valued at. And yeah. everything you can think of in between the size, the zoning, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right. I want to say one thing about that real quick. Yeah. Cause that's a great point. Yeah. And I, I mean, that truly is the heart. That's, that's the core of it. That's where the data, when we say data, that's what we're talking about. That's where it comes mm -hmm. from. Simple example of that even is like, let's say you're driving down the street and you're like, oh, there's a vacant lot. All you got to do is get the address to that lot go on the county, whatever county you're in, I'm going to use Houston, you know, Harris County, Harris County appraisal district website. That's what you would type in. You would type in that address on, on the website under the property search tab. And when you click search, it is going to bring up a tax ID number, an APN, the street address, the owner's name, the owner's mailing address. It's all free. All of this yep. stuff is free through the county. But if you want to get a list in bulk, like Jack is saying, uh, you want to pull all the vacant lots in the entire city, which again, let's say there's 5,000 of them. You're not going to search 5,000 individual lots. On the <laughs> you're not going to do it. Might take you're, you a little while. Yeah. You're going to pull a list and PropStream and ListSource just pull all that data from the county and then you're buying it in an Excel spreadsheet. That's it. Exactly. And I think a really important, um, thing to mention here because you just talked about you know tax id number apn that kind of thing if i was a listener and new to this i'd go what what is a tax id what is an apn what are you what are you guys talking about so in the world especially in the world of land investing um, but this is even true for some you know real properties as well um, oftentimes a given county will not actually assign a vacant piece of land a street address right? Because they, they often don't do that until a permit has been pulled to actually start building on top of it. Um, the way that the counties will identify a unique property is with a unique identifier. Corey mentioned APN. 
That stands for assessor, assessor's parcel ID number, right? That's basically a long number that any given county assigns to a specific piece of land or a specific property that is in turn its unique identifier. So just so you guys know, when you go pull some of these lists, you'll see that a lot of the land that you're pulling doesn't even have an address yet. It just has a, a parcel ID number. Don't let that scare you off or anything, completely normal. Um, and again, we don't wanna to get too much into the weeds here, but list source, prop stream, there's several others that you can utilize. Some are based on a monthly fee and you get X amount of leads that you can pull. Some like Corey was saying um, are just, you know, whatever uh, a, amount of cents per lead you pull and you can do however many in a month, different setups, different costs. Um, you know, Corey mentioned, I do use prop stream at the end of the day. I think it's $97 a month and I get to pull 10 up to 10,000 leads. Sometimes I'll pull more than that and I pay a little extra on top. Um, you know, but it's all the same at the end of the day, you're pulling a list based on certain criteria that you're searching for of landowners in the market that you just picked so that then you can either go, um, you know, do some skip tracing and get all their phone numbers and that kind of thing and start cold calling, or you simply upload it to a mail house and get some mail sent out to these folks indicating that you, you know, have interest in purchasing their land, which yeah. Corey, I think brings us to step number three and Perhaps before we move there, one more point I want to make about pulling lists is, you know, I mentioned criteria a second ago, based on what my criteria, you, read you know, my mind. so what is that, right? You're not just going to go to a given, you know, you've identified your market. Great. You're not just going to go pull every single piece of land in that market that's under the sun, right? Because not every single piece of land in that market under the sun is going to be really what you're looking for. You want to do it based on certain criteria. So like an example, one that I love to use and basically use for every list I pull with the exception of a few here and there is how long has the owner had this property in their possession? I don't really want to send somebody a piece of mail or make a phone call to an individual who owns a piece of property they bought six months ago because right they probably have intent to use it and it was a recent purchase they're not looking to just turn around and sell it to me at least oftentimes they're not and I'm looking for a for, discount yeah exactly and for a discount right they're not in that tuna they're not in that frame of mind um they probably paid market value and that hasn't changed in the last six months right um what we're looking for is folks that have owned these properties for a good amount of time I think the lowest I usually go on any given list is five, uh, five years. That is like they've owned this property for at least five years or more. There's certain areas I'll do a little lower than that, but oftentimes I'm really gunning for like 10, 15, sometimes even 20 years, right? I want older apathetic owners of property who probably haven't even seen the piece of land in the last five, 10 years might not have ever even visited it in the first place and certainly probably don't have a great idea of what the market value is, right? So that's, you know, an example of a, a criteria. Another one could be that whatever market you chose, you found that most of the land that was selling out there was between one and five acres. So when you're going to pull your list, 
that's what you want to focus on. So you can use filters like, hey, I only want to pull uh, a lead for property that's between one and five acres. Simple as that, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of others that you can filter for. Um, you know, when, again, when it comes to the owners, I like to send mail to owners who do not live in the same county as where the land actually exists, right? I don't want an owner whose property is right down the street from where he lives because he probably has a really good idea of that, of what's going on in that area, maybe even more so than I do, right? Um, so again, not to beat a dead horse here, but there's a lot of examples of criteria that you can kind of filter down with and pull a list that's ultimately gonna be really meaningful for you in whatever market you selected and really impactful at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of like Jack said, you know, I don't, I certainly don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse here and, and go over, you know, every single criteria and filter that there is for vacant land. But my lists have always been very simple. I mean, I've been mailing essentially the same types of list or the same type of list for the last three years. And it's like the zip code I want to be in, the size yep. that's selling in that zip code, like what am I looking for or what, what am I seeing in that zip code sell, sell, you know what I'm saying? Like you said, yep. if it's one to five acres, that's what I'm going for. Ownership uh, time timeline, like I do, I want five years ownership, 10 years, that's it. For me, we're, we're similar, Jack. It's been five years minimum was kind of what I was always going yep. for. Recently, I just went up to like 10 years. And yep. the, the premise behind that is like, hey, you've got this person who's owned this lot for 10 years, possibly longer. What's the reality of them doing something with it? What's yep. what's the likelihood, right? Um, that's my list. Own 10 years, zip code, size. That's it. I mean, totally. And, that, and that's really all you need. You can, again, it's one of those things where you can complicate it. You can try to add 200 filters. 27 different criteria and stack motivations. And you know, that's kind of what we're talking about. Motivations. Is it tax right. delinquent? Do they have bad yep. credit? Is there uh liens? Whatever. Yeah. Um, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep land, it simple. Land is simple. People own a piece of dirt and they ain't seen it in 15 years and they're paying the taxes on it every year. Guess what? They get a postcard from you in the mail, which we'll get into that next. And they go, oh, you know what? I forgot all about this piece of dirt that's in California and I live in Pennsylvania. Exactly. Yeah, that's so that's, that's who you want. That's your avatar, right? Yeah. Really, that's a that's a simple way to look at list pulling is who's my avatar, right? What kind of property sells out here? What's the size? Um, how long has this person owned it? Do they live in the same area or not? Great. You've got a list. And one more point I think we should make, Corey, before we move to number three, because I think it's a really important one. And one that I would be curious of if I was listening to this right now is like, okay, well, like how many leads should I pull for a given area? Like what's a good kind of number to go for, right? Like does 200 work? Does 500 work? Is, should I be going more for like a thousand? And I'll give you, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on this, Corey, but I'll, I'll give mine first. Um, I have found, number one, that across the board, and you and I have been sending mail for years and years, I usually end up with a response rate, meaning how many people actually pick up the phone and call me or send me a text or shoot me an email or whatever it is to tell me they're interested in selling their land and they got my postcard. 
it's usually one to two percent right three percent on a really great mailer and then maybe on some that didn't hit as well a little less than one percent but usually right in that one to two percent range which is which is great you know that's for all things considered direct mail that's a good response rate that's where you want to be so if you kind of start to deduce from there okay well so how many phone calls would i expect to get out of a thousand mailers well probably anywhere between 10 to 20 phone calls right yeah but even that even that, right. that we could get into the weeds on that because that even yeah. depends that varies by market it does right yeah. and then you know again not to go too far into this but you deduce from there a little further okay probably eight to nine out of the, out of ten people i talk to are going to tell me no they're just not going to sell the land to me at the price that i'm looking for but those one or two are so you think of a list of a thousand you're probably going to get 10 to 20 phone calls and out of that probably one or two or three deals will actually you know come about sometimes more sometimes none right so if somebody were to ask me hey how many leads should i actually pull for a given area and try and get out to like get a good feel of the market and actually get some results i usually go for a minimum of a thousand right yeah um, now there's certain, once you get further into this, you'll find pockets where there's neighborhoods that, you know, are hitting really well. And of course, you know, you'll pull, there's only so many, you know, lots in, any, in a given neighborhood or whatever, and you'll have lists that are less than that. But when you're just starting out getting, you know, your feet under you and getting going on this, I think a thousand is a, is a kind of good solid number to actually get some traction in whatever area you're going after and more if you can right yeah. so there you I have no i have two things to say about that because i think you're right but i have a, a way of simplifying this uh, and i can't take the credit for this again it's from jack over at land academy he's he says it all the time um which kind of takes us into our next point anyway which is sending mail um which we're going to say marketing because you don't have to send mail you can cold call text send mail, ringless voicemail, bandit sign, door knock. There's a million different ways to reach out to these sellers and ask them if they would be interested in selling their land. But here's, I guess, to, to backtrack slightly, the, the simple answer to that question of how many leads should I be pulling in, the, in any given county, zip code, whatever, for my list to mail? The simple answer is this, more is always better. Yep. Truly. There's yep. no, I mean, you can't put a number and say uh, 500's good. I mean, a thousand, I'm, I agree with you, Jack. You definitely don't want any less than a thousand. Um, and the reason for that is like, think about it like this. If you send out a hundred postcards or even make a hundred cold calls, um, how likely are you to get a deal versus if you did a thousand postcards or a thousand cold calls? More yep. is always better. It's simple. The more you do, the more calls, the more texts, the more mail, the more leads, the more likely you are to get a deal. It's simple. So this is a numbers game. We're gonna, you're going to hear that from me, from Jack, from really anybody. Um, yep. The more you do, and you've got to filter through all the people that are going to say no to get to that one person that says yes. And can we sit here and quantify and say, you need a thousand leads to do that, or you need 5,000? You can't, because there's so many factors and variabilities that go into that. So the simple answer is do more. More is always better. 
Yep. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And just, you know, for anybody like curious, you know, because if I'm on that end, I haven't started yet. I haven't, you know, even researched a market or spent money on mail yet. I'm wondering like, what, you know, what's this going to kind of cost me to get into this? Like, what does this actually look like from, you know, a monetary and capital perspective on my side? I have kept a spreadsheet over the last two or so years, and um, I've analyzed all my deals, ran all the numbers, looked at all the mail I've sent. I find, and Corey, I would assume you're probably somewhere similar in this, right around two to 3,000, let's just call it right in the middle, 2,500. 2,500 pieces of mail usually nets me one to two five-figure profit deals, right? Yeah. So you break that down a little further. I pay about, let's just round it out to like 60 cents on the dollar uh, per piece of mail I send. And that's for a, a six by nine inch postcard that I send out that basically says, hey, I want to buy your property, right? Um, costs about 60 cents on the dollar. You do the math on, on all of that. Let's call it, just to be conservative, 1500 bucks for those 2,500 pieces of mail, maybe a little less, maybe a little bit more that's going to net you hopefully a five figure deal, at least, you know, a deal five grand or more in profit. Right. So the numbers end up working out here. Obviously we're not including all of the work you're doing on the back end, all the conversations you're having, the time and effort and energy put in to actually get that deal and then flip it. But that's kind of what it rounds out to about 2,500 pieces of mail is going to get you a nice deal. And those numbers work out as far as a cost and profit perspective is concerned. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think, I think Jack is right. You know, 2,500 pieces of mail should, you should get a deal, but that's only if you picked a good market or at least a decent market uh, yep. using the criteria and the, the supply and demand metrics and identified a good market. That's only if you answer the phone when people call. I mean, yep. I shouldn't have to mention that, but I do. Um, and that's only if you evaluate properties correctly and make good offers and you end up, you know what I'm saying? Like there's still all these other things that have to happen in order for you to um, get a deal. I think this is Absolutely. funny though, Jack. I'm going to go off on a little sidebar. I think it's funny. in uh, going back and forth between the points that you make and then what I, you know, the points that I make, I think I've noticed you're more on the technical math side, like deep diving into you know, the analytical and the numbers and stuff. And I'm like, let's simplify this even. Let's just really simplify this. Absolutely. I <laughs> Hey, man, I went to school for finance. I like spreadsheets. I'm yeah. not weird like that. Dude, not I, weird. I couldn't be further from the opposite. I failed math in high school. Three out of four <laughs> years. I, true story. I should not have even graduated high school uh, because I was failing math. And the only reason I graduated senior years, because my math teacher knew that I was joining the Marines. Hey, thank so, you for your service, my friend. By the way. I appreciate that. I appreciate Good that. Man. But I just think it's funny because, you know, you keep deep diving the numbers and stuff and I'm like, let's just simplify this. But, uh, totally. I do, well, I, and you know, just the point I got to make about that guys, it just goes to show like, anybody can do this you got a guy who likes the math and likes to run numbers and stuff over here i'm making it happen you got Corey who likes to keep things a little bit more simple he's still making it happen yeah I can again barely i'll add. say this a million times on this podcast you can do it too yeah 
But I, I, I do have another point I want to make about that. Um, and I've said this before on my consult calls. I tell people, right, because the number one question you get asked about mail is, well, how much is it? And you were just talking about it in a, in a way like yep. 60 cents per piece, whatever. So for the folks that don't know anything about mail, here's the thing. I'll tell you straight up. Mail is expensive. Yep. There's no way around it. If you are going to send out a mailer that's big enough to yield a, a response that's actually worthy of your time and like likely for you to get a deal from it, you've got to send out, like Jack said, in 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 pieces of mail to get enough phone calls in. And I'll tell you, 5,000 pieces of mail is going to cost you, uh, you know, three grand, 2,500 bucks, yep. three grand. Right around there. Yep. And I, I understand because three years ago, I did not have $3,000 to throw into a mailer. Um, I didn't start out with mail, but I, I say all that to say this. If you have time, meaning you've got time to put into this thing to find deals, but you don't have money for marketing, you need to be cold calling or texting. Yep. Really just call. I would say cold calling because even there's, there's a little bit more cost associated with texting. Uh with cold calling, you literally just have to buy the list, whatever that cost is, it's one cost. You can pull 5,000 leads and pay for the list one time. It might cost you a couple hundred dollars. And then you pay for the skip tracing. You can get skip tracing on Fiverr, and this is for phone numbers. You got to get these people's phone numbers. You can skip trace 5,000 leads on Fiverr. Don't quote me on this. In the ballpark of, I think, like 200 bucks, maybe 300. Yep. So yep. all in. For 5,000 leads for you to sit down and cold call them, you're looking at $500, $600 versus in the ballpark of 3,000 to mail it. Okay, you see yep. the difference there? Mail is for people who have a little bit more money and don't have the time to be sitting around cold calling, you know, because cold calling is time consuming. Um, it is. And not only that, I mean, all the OG land flippers and people who have been in the space for a long time will tell you, I think mail is the best marketing channel for buying and selling raw land. But don't let that discourage you. If you do not have the money to send huge mailers, start, you can start with a small mailer. There's nothing wrong with that. You can start with what you can, with what you can afford and what you can do. You just have to manage your expectations and know that if I'm only sending 500 mailers a month and not 5,000, it might take me a little bit longer to get a deal than if I'm sending 5,000. Yep. So I, wanted to, I definitely wanted to put that out there. No, that's a great point, Corey. Um, you should have zero excuses for getting started in this space. If you got a little bit of capital, great. Get some mail out. If you don't, grid up, pull a list, get some phone numbers, and start smiling and dialing like it's the boiler room. That's it. Yeah. No excuses, guys. Anybody guys, can do this, and it doesn't matter where, what, what your starting line looks like. Yeah. When I didn't have mail money, which when I started this, I cold called with Mojo Triple Line Dialer. For those of you that don't know, it's a dialing system <laughs> that calls three people at one time. Whoever answers first, it kicks the other two off. So you're dialing hundreds. I mean, I was making hundreds of dials a day, and I cold called for the first eight months of my business. Eight months, every single day, somewhere between two and five hours a day of sitting on a dialer and talking to people. Hey, this is Corey, would you consider selling your property? You know, eight months of that. And how long How long did it take to get your first deal? 
doing that? It's a little, so my first deal was a house, it was a house wholesale. I, yep. So it took me four months, but from the time it took me to get my first land deal after that, it was only, if I remember correctly, because it does start getting a little bit blurry, I want to say it was only a month, a month and a half before I got my yep. second deal. 100%. With and that's the other thing, guys, be, before we move to step three, um, gosh, <laughs> we've been on step two for a while. But hey, I hope we're providing you guys some value because we're really digging into all of this stuff. So I hope for whoever's listening that, that you're getting some good learning going on. But listen, at the end of the day, manage your expectations. You hear Corey say it all of the time. It's, this is not something that you're just going to send some mail and a week later you have a deal. Like this takes some work. It takes some grit. It takes multiple phone calls and conversations. Um, it takes multiple follow-ups. There's a lot involved in this, guys. But if you stay consistent, if you put in the work, if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and trusting that this business model is thorough and, and you know, paves way for success, you'll get there. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Steps. I mean... We have kind of been hitting on step three with sending mail, right? We've we've been yep. talking about that. We kind of we kind of divulged in that already. It's, yep. Step three is not necessarily send mail. Like I said, it's marketing. You have to yep. actually talk to these sellers, whether it's a cold call or mail or a bandit sign. There's a million. The key to this, and then I'm, we're truly going to move on. The key to this: pick one marketing channel. It doesn't matter what it is. Pick one and stick to it. The problem with new flippers and wholesalers and marketing is they try to do six different marketing channels at once when they're just starting out because it's all so flashy and fancy and new and like exciting. And it's like the reality is you suck at all six when you could just be good at one. <laughs> yep. Pick one. I don't do anything else. I send mail and yep. almost to a fault. You know what I mean? Almost to a fault. Same. So yep. pick one, do that. The best marketing channel is the one that you do the most consistently. That's it. That's a That's really it. good way to put it. And, um, you know, just a quick point on that before we move on. Like at the end of the day, guys, your mail is what's ultimately going to lead to your deals. Your phone calls, what's ultimately going to lead to your deals. Like Corey said, do not get shiny objects with the syndrome. Focus on one that works, that works for your lifestyle, that works for the amount of capital you have on, on, on hand. And again, stay consistent. Don't just send a thousand pieces of mail one week and then go another month without sending more mail. Keep up with your lead measures so that everything else in the, the back end, you know, falls. What I mean by that is like, for me, for example, I send mail every single Friday. I never miss a Friday. Mail is going out every single week. And it might be to markets I've mailed before. It might be to new markets, might be areas I'm familiar with, not familiar with yet. I'm getting after it. And that ensures that the leads continue to come in and that the deals ultimately happen down the line, right? So yeah. you can't just send a thousand and then expect to get a deal out of it. And, and not send anymore. You got to keep consistent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to take us right into our next, uh, our next part of the land flipping process, right? And on paper, we kind of have a, a little outline for us. We got talking to sellers as one and then negotiating as another. I'm going to kind of group them together uh, for a couple of reasons. One, for the sake of time and two, for the sake of, they kind of go hand in hand anyway, right? 
Um, yeah. And just me personally, usually when you hear the word negotiation, me personally, I think of haggling. I think of sales. I think of, I'm not a fan of it, right? And it's not who I am as a person. It's not my personality to to play the whole car salesman thing. And, you know, we could really talk for quite some time on how to have a conversation with a seller. But for the sake of simplifying this for people who are literally, like for the listener who is going to say, I'm going to follow these steps and I'm going to send out my first mailer, even if it's only 500 pieces, and I'm going to have my first conversations with these sellers. For the sake of all that, for the brand new listener, I think we should really simplify this to when the phone rings, when you send out your mail and the phone rings, you pick up the phone and you answer it and you have a, a mature, professional conversation, a human being, right? It's a human being on the other end of the line. I yep. think there's so many people in this industry uh, just because of the nature of the business, right? It's about making money. I mean, you can make a lot of money in this business. So just in the nature of that, there's a lot of people, I think, in the industry who taint. They bring the whole, the sales vibe pitch and closing everybody. And there's all these tactics and verbal gymnastics that, you know, that are taught in order for you to lock people up. And don't get me started, all right? Yeah. <laughs> get on the phone, right? Jack, you're the seller. I'm I'm the the guy who sent the mail. Hey Jack, I appreciate you calling me today. What can I do for you? Are you interested in selling your property? Just have a conversation with another person about their property and see where it goes. Another thing I want to say about that is just be yourself. Don't yep. stop trying to pose as an expert. Stop telling people that you're a cash buyer and an investor and a partner. And of this, it's like, bro, you're, I'm Corey, the cop. I used to be a cop, right? For those of you that don't know, I used to be a cop. I'm Corey, the cop. I got a wife. I have a son. I have a dog. Uh, like use everything to your advantage. Like when someone calls and my dog barks, I'm like, Hey man, I'm really sorry. My dog is an idiot. Like he freaks out, you know, get a little bit of chuckle, build a little bit of rapport. I don't really personally, and Jack, you can say whatever you want as soon as it's your go, I don't personally want to delve into all of the, um, you know, all the tactics involved and all the things you should be going over on the phone. Cause it's like the end of the day, yeah. this boils down to having a conversation with another person who owns a piece of land. And then you're going to make them an offer conversations offers. It's that simple. The people that truly want and need to sell their property for cash. Don't give a shit. If you're some big wig hedge fund manager, investor, how big your company is, how much money, how many properties you buy on a monthly basis, none of that. People or if you live down in a van by the river, they yeah. just care about the price, dude. And sometimes it's not even the price. But here's the thing, man. Seriously, people do business with people they like. I had a lady just yesterday, true story, just yesterday. She's like, Corey, these people are bugging me so much. I get postcards, I get mail like crazy, get cold calls. And I know she's telling the truth because it's in a hot zip code in Houston. And uh, I said, I understand I had already made my offer. I said, but just at least call me back and let me know if it doesn't work for you. So that way I can quit bugging you. And she laughed and she's like, no, she said, I feel something here. She's like, I really appreciate how kind you've been on the phone. I really appreciate you giving me this information because I gave her some comp information. 
Like I yep. told her what the comps were and I wasn't even lying. I said, these are the comps. This is what I'm yep. offering. You know, and she's like, I really want to get this thing done. So let me talk with my mom. But I appreciate how genuine you've been. That's what she said. She's like, I really would rather just do a deal with you and not all these other people because all these other people are bothering me. Yep. I'm telling you, just be genuine. Just be a good person on the phone and you will get deals. That's my that's my soapbox on that. Now it's on you. No, I, I agree a thousand percent. I mean, at the end of the day, like Corey said, these are people. You're a person too. You're having a conversation. You've already, they're calling you for a reason. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's either they want to talk to you about selling their land or they want to tell you not to mail them again. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. In all, in all likelihood, it's because they want to talk to you about selling their land. And really, they just want to know who they're doing business with and what your price is at the end of the day. A lot of them don't care about the motivations. They don't care if, you know, you have some partner that's going to develop on top of it. They don't care, you know, what position in your company is, even though it's just you running something at the back end, right? Yeah. They don't care about any of that stuff. They just want to have a genuine conversation with somebody. And, you know, Corey, a, a point that I'd love to make on top of all of that, and the reason why being genuine and just a real human being and having that type of conversation ultimately nets you deals is because you know a lot of these people let's be real a lot of them are older i'd say most of the folks that i buy land from are at least 50 60 years old or more right um they they're the number one target for scams right on the internet or otherwise they've never met you before they don't know who you are they don't know what your company does they don't know your intentions they don't know your motivations all they know is that you're interested in their land. So the more that you can make them feel comfortable, be able to talk intelligently about what the closing process would look like, should we agree to move forward at XYZ price, you know, the, the title agent you work with at whatever title agency, you know, that kind of stuff, the more that you can make them feel comfortable and good about what they're about to commit to doing and agree to, the more deals you're going to land. There's so many people that just come off sketchy, can't talk through the closing process, aren't being real with the with the seller about what their motivations are and what they intend to do with it. You know, at the end of the day, like these people are reluctant to just sell to somebody that sent them a piece of mail, right? So you got to talk them through that and almost in some way kind of walk them off the ledge, right? Yeah. Walk them over into greener pastures where we can get a deal done. Yeah. That's really it at the end of the day. Um, Absolutely. So that, that's my two cents. I think there's an entire other episode that we can dedicate just to tactics over the phone, how to talk to sellers, how to ultimately negotiate win deals. Um, but I yeah. think high level, that's what you're looking at. Yeah. And I do want to say a little bit more about that too, because you, you know, you made some good points and it's like being a good person on the phone, even being nice, being kind, um, that's not a ploy either. Like I'm natural and I'm not trying to gas my own ego, but it's like <laughs> naturally for me, customer service, we'll call it, I think comes easily to me because I just treat people how I would want to be talked to, right? Like if I, I'm talking to you in a way that I would want to be spoken to for one, yep. two, I hate being sold. Anyone here ever bought a car, like been to a car dealership? It's the <laughs> fucking worst. 
Yeah. I hate it. Like no one wants to be vulture, right? So get on the phone and just have a conversation. Besides, how are you going to uncover their motivation? Like Jack, you said it. They called me off of my mail piece. They called me for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but I'm going to figure it out by simply having a conversation. Yeah. Hey, and Mr. I'm Seller. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, hey, Mr. Seller, why do you want to sell? Simple questions, simple, genuine, real question. There's no hidden motivations. Well, what made you call? Why do you want to sell? If you don't sell it, what are you going to do with it? Did you buy it to build on it? These questions get people talking. Yeah, I bought oh, it. Yeah. I bought it 12 years ago and I was going to build a cabin on it, but then my wife got cancer. And I say that, but I mean, those conversations are real. I mean, that, Absolutely. you know, that happens all the time. And then it's like, oh, okay. Now I know what's really going on. I know he's not going to do anything with the land. Can I make him an offer that fits or can I not? And that's, I'm going to say two more things. And then I, I honestly think if you could, you could say some more if you want, but I think we'd be good to move on. Once you uncover their motivation or once you make your offer, there is no, for me personally, there's no haggling. There's no back and forth. They either want to sell their land for the price you need of that or they don't. I'm not playing games and... You know, I don't know. There's a whole lot of uh, shysters out there with their sleazy, you know, closer tactics. And it's like, I sleep pretty good at night knowing that I'm only doing deals with people who need and want to sell their property. So a hundred percent. And I will just say one more thing, Corey, because everything you said made me, you made some good points and it made me think of this. Um, there, uh, there's a gentleman named Napoleon uh, Bonaparte from what 16, 1700s, maybe early 1800s. He was, uh, he was kind of described as one of the best conversationalists in the world. But the funny thing about that was he spoke the least, and what that meant and translates to in terms of a real conversation is he was the one asking the questions, and therefore he was in control of the conversation. Not only was he in control, but he was making the person that he was talking to feel like they were much more important. They were special. He was genuinely interested in what they had to say. And Corey made a great point. You can ask one simple question. Hey, um, you know, when, when did you originally get your hands on this? And what was your intent with it? Were you going to build on it? Was it just an investment? You won't believe the information that a seller will give you just from like a simple question like that. They'll give you everything they, that you need to know in order to go do a little bit of research and prepare an offer that you think it's going to you know, end up landing, right? Yeah. So ask questions, be in control of the conversation in that way, be interested genuinely in what they have to say. And, you know, ultimately on top of this, just be diligent with your follow-up. One thing I always do with the phone, uh, especially like a first phone call is I'll set next expectations. Hey, this is a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to my team taking a look at this property a little bit further in detail. I'm going to call you by Friday this week. And is this the best phone number to reach you back at, right? Set expectations, let them know when you plan on following up, when they're going to get their offer, that kind of thing, and go from there. People appreciate that so much. Don't be the guy that's just like, okay, great, thanks. Talk to you later, you know? Like build that genuine trust and relationship with them. And that's ultimately going to play in your favor. 
think we've talked enough about phone calls. Let's yeah. move on, Corey. Well, so yeah, absolutely. I want to give you guys though, just for the my own sake, I suppose, and for your sake as a listener, I want to give you one piece of technical, I guess, advice on talking to sellers, I will say. So that way you can at least leave this episode and say, okay, if a seller does call me, I have these couple questions. I can ask them, uh, you know, and then there's a few, like the Land Academy, for instance, they have this thing called the six A's. I can't tell you all the six A's off the top of my head, but it's like access, um, alive, meaning are all the owners on the deed alive and willing to sell, um, yeah. availability. I, I mean, again, if you want to know about the six A's, go over to Land Academy, check them out. Um, but some of the basic stuff that I ask a seller when they call in, just so I know that I'm dealing with the person who actually has the right to sell me the property is like, hey, are you the owner? And it seems like a silly question, but Jack, you know, brothers, uncles, friends down the street, they'll be like, well, you know, hell of people will call that don't even have any claim to the property or any ownership of the property. People will call and say, well, I pay the taxes on it. Okay. That doesn't make you the owner. That's another thing. Right. We can delve into that later, but you just need to get, are they the owner? And if they're not the owner, what is their relationship to the owner? So that way you can figure that out. Does the property have road access? That's a big one for me, at least. Um, because if you tell me on the phone, first call, oh, actually, no, it's landlocked. Landlocked, meaning there's no road access. There's no deeded easement. There's no way to physically get to the property. I personally am not even messing with it. I tell them straight up, hey, man. I appreciate you calling, but if it truly is landlocked, there's no access, there's no way to get access. I'm just not interested in it. Yep. Um, is there utilities on the property? You know, water, gas, electricity, sewer, that kind of stuff. Um, those are the three big ones. And then for Houston, is it in a flood zone? But if you're not in an area where it floods a lot, you know, you probably don't have to ask that question, but those are the big ones. And some of that stuff you can find out on your own. But again, I ask those questions because it opens the door for conversation. And if I can get the seller to talk and we can go back and forth, you uncover things by doing that. So for the sake of giving you all something technical, there's some questions you can ask to your sellers um, to get them talking. And the last big one is, which again is an open-ended question to really get them to talk is, well, when did you buy this land or when did you get yeah. this? You know, yeah. oh, I bought it back in 1956. Well, man, <laughs> what are you going to do with it? What was your plans? Well, and then it goes on from there. You know what I'm saying? So. Mm -hmm. And another great thing about all the questions that Corey just mentioned is it gives you a litmus test of what these sellers actually know about their property. And let's be real, the less that they know about it, the more likely you're able to get it at the price you're looking for, right? Yeah, um, yeah all really great points. Again, Corey, I think we're going to end up doing an episode on each one of these steps probably. Yeah, man, I was really literally, into it, I was literally, know? and there's some of these topics that truly, you, we could spend an hour, we could spend two hours talking about how to talk to Oh, yeah. We really could. Oh, 100%. Um, and the same thing with negotiations, you know, because what goes into negotiations is comps, data, you know, uh, property attributes. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. 
that needs to be talked about. Um, I'm just trying, and Jack also is just trying to simplify this to give you guys enough information to say, okay, I get the basic premise of land flipping, how to find an area, how to market, how to talk to a seller, and how to get a deal, right? How to put a piece of dirt under contract at a low price so I can take it to someone else and either assign it or buy it and sell it again, um, which again, assignments yeah. versus double closes, that's an episode, you know what I mean? Oh, um, yeah. There's no so, shortage of uh, information to be shared on all of this, that's for sure. Yeah, so I guess the next and really um, the last step would be getting the deal, um, well, kind of getting a deal and selling it, uh, which again, I'm going to simplify because that's the kind of person I am. Someone told me this from the get-go. They're like, getting the deal is the hard part, right? Yep. Finding the discounted property. Because the key here, it, the whole key to this is getting a piece of dirt for far less than what it's worth. Yep. And in simple terms, it's if you know it's worth 100000 you're trying to get it for fifty or forty. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to get yep. it really cheap. That's the hard part. And for obvious reason, right? Because you got to find the people that are willing to sell you their property for 40% of what it's worth. Okay. So yep. as you can imagine, that would be the hard part of this entire uh, process. Once you get that piece of dirt for 40,000 bucks, but it's worth a hundred, selling it's the easy part. I'm telling you this, it's the easiest part because you could wholesale it sell it for 80,000 when it's worth 100 and even the end buyer is getting a good deal it's going to sell quick because it's the cheapest thing out there you know yep um so really the last two steps is just getting the deal and selling it but i don't think that it takes too much effort or emphasis in my opinion um of, there's there's 20 ways to sell a property you can list it on the mls you can list it on zillow you can put bandit signs in the area to sell the property you can call local real estate agents and ask them to bring a buyer to the table. I mean, Jack, you could probably name five other ways to sell a property. Uh, but the oh, reality yeah. is that's that's the easy part. So I tell people not to even worry about selling the property. Find the deal. Find yeah. the deal. Once you find the deal, selling is the easy part. I think the point to be made here is that you make your money on the purchase, not on the sale. And what I mean by that is the price you acquire the land at, that's where you're making your money. The sale, like Corey is saying, will come naturally on the back end. So long as all of your comps are right, the due diligence you've done is correct, and you actually have a good grasp on what that market value is. That all falls into line. So if we break down the next steps after you know having that phone call where the seller agrees to the price that you just offered, it's really simple. You send them a purchase agreement. Corey and I have templates that we're happy to share with anybody, you know, watching or listening into this episode. I use a standard three page purchase agreement and it's a good idea, you know, just to be safe to check with, you know, a, a realtor or a lawyer um, or even like a closing agent in whatever area or, you know, state you're in just to make sure that purchase agreement aligns with state laws and all of that stuff. But you send them a purchase agreement. I usually just do it through DocuSign or another online digital signature platform. You get their agreement at the number that you agreed to. 
you send it to a title company, they process the transaction just like any other real estate transaction. Like if you're buying a house, they'll do a, a search into the chain of title to make sure the ownership is sound and that there's a clear record there. They'll do a search into any liens against the property, which could be anything from you know, an, an outstanding mortgage balance due to a contractor mowed the lawn 10 years and you're still, it's still owed 250 bucks. Um, all the way over to like encumbrances, if somebody else's, you know, fence is over the property line or something, they'll look at all of that. That gets sorted out through title. Anything that needs to be handled gets handled. Um, you wire the money over to the title company. They get that, they act as escrow. They close the deal. You get the deed in your name. That money then goes to the seller. They're happy. Now you've got a piece of land that's in your name or maybe your company's name, but at the end of the day, it's in your ownership. Now it just comes to, to disposing of the thing, getting the thing sold. Corey mentioned a couple of routes, but for me, it's really simple. I list on Facebook marketplace. You guys wouldn't believe how many pieces of land get sold on Facebook. Um, I list on Craigslist. Uh, and again, just simple listings describing the property, not too, I, I don't do overdone summaries of a property or anything i make it really simple here's the size here's a couple of the features here's where it's close to here's some of the amenities whatever else it is um and then i think corey and i would both agree it is absolutely worth the commission payment that you would make to get this listed with a local realtor who knows what they're doing that's an entire other episode figuring out which realtor to work with and that kind of thing but um, you get to a point of finding a realtor who knows land in that area, who has clear history of selling land at good prices and marketing it in a way that's attractive, um, who has good history of selling those pieces of land they've sold quickly and not being on market six to 12 months. So you get that thing on the MLS, the multiple listing service. There's different MLSs in every different state, you know, based on whatever area you're in. Some realtors will list on multiple MLSs. And uh, downstream from the MLS comes Zillow, comes Redfin, those get automatically posted there. So your land is on Facebook, it's on Craigslist, it's on Zillow, it's on Redfin, it's on the MLS. Um, you know, there's other pieces of property, like if you're doing more big chunks of recreational land and that kind of thing, you can list it on Landwatch. Like there's a lot of tools at your disposal to get the land that you own in front of the right sets of eyes to find that end buyer, right? Yeah. Um, and again, those conversations are easy. You kind of know the price range you need to sell it in to make whatever profit you're looking for. <laughs> but at that point, you're the seller and you're just on the opposite side of the table on the negotiation. Um, oftentimes your realtor is gonna handle all of that and you'll you know, wake up one morning to an email looking for your signature at a full price cash offer, right? Yeah. Um, and again, that, that process is the same on the back end. You go through a 30 day close, you know, sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more with a local title agency and you get your check at the end of it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a simple game guys, but I just kind of wanted to outline that last step of the process, A to Z. And you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, just getting this thing in front of the right sets of eyes and getting her sold. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think we'll wrap it up with saying this. I was thinking about it because obviously, look, we covered we covered a lot of things, right? A lot of steps. Yep. The, the thirty thousand foot view of of land flipping A to Z, right? Um, and here's the disclaimer that I'm going to make. Obviously, 
I mean, I personally think it goes without saying, but I guess that's not true because I do the business. So I know what it takes, but for the people who are listening, the, the people who are brand new, who are listening to what we're saying truly and they're grasping and they're going, okay, I get this, but what about this? And what about that? Here's the thing. Obviously there are things in between some of these steps there are nuances, there are scenarios, there are situations that are going to arise that we did not cover. Everything that could happen in a vacant land flip transaction, um, we we can't cover it because it's it's unique and it's you know unique. It's unique to that deal, to that seller, to that transaction, and what's going on. So there's just no way for us to go over every single thing that could happen in a transaction. The best way for you to figure this stuff out is by taking action on the things that we talked about today, picking your market, pulling your leads, sending out your mail, having the conversations, doing your due diligence on the property, making sound offers, contracting these properties, and then trying to sell it. If you do, if you do that, if you start this process, all the nuances and all the things that arise during the process that say we don't cover today because we just can't, there's a million people out there doing this, but Facebook groups, there's people you can ask your questions to. You could DM Jack, you could DM me, and you could say, hey, I did what you told me to do. I sent the mail, I'm having this conversation, I got this deal, but this happened. Now what? Great, now we can help you. But the, the thing is, is, is you need to take action. We can't cover every single thing, you know, every little nuance, you know, in, a, in an hour long podcast. Um, yep. And quite frankly, that's how I started. I was, I'm a very like shoot first, ask later, figure out as I go. <laughs> kind of person right. and and sometimes to a fault like i'll throw money at stuff and be like all right let's see what happens you know and <laughs> you know it's not always the best but i learn a lot you know like you learn yeah. by doing you don't learn by theorizing and and reading and talking about these things you learn by doing so i wanted to really just wrap it up like that i'll give you guys the outline one more time so you want to get started today right you're going to identify a market, whether it's a zip code, a county, a whatever. Um, you're going to do that by measuring for supply and demand. Pulling your leads. You can pull your leads using PropStream, $97 a month, and you get up to 10,000 records. Or you can use ListSource. ListSource is really good. I think it's like $0.08 cents per lead, um, and they've got all the data in the world. Pull your list. The next is going to be marketing, okay? marketing. You do not have to send mail. We recommend that you send mail, but you don't have to send mail if you don't have the budget for it. All right. You can cold call, text, put out bandit signs. I mean, there it's endless. All right. Do some research on marketing and figure out which one you want to do. Next is going to be talking to sellers and negotiating deals. Okay. We spent quite some time on that. Be a human being. It, it's really all it boils down to. Have a conversation with a person who owns a piece of dirt, figure out their motivation for selling or at least wanting to sell or at least why they called you. Have a conversation with them, make them an offer. Remember this, nine out of 10 people are gonna say no. Nine out of 10 people are not gonna sell you their property for 
20 to 50 cents on the dollar. They're just not going to. You need to get much better at disqualifying people and moving on from your nose, getting closer to that yes than you do getting deals, if that makes sense. Um, the next is going to be getting the deal. So after you make your offer, they accept it. You're going to put it under contract. You're going to send it to the title company. They're going to do what Jack was talking about, a title search, make sure there's no, no liens, judgments, back taxes. There's no issues with the title. So that way, when you buy it, you can buy a property with a clear and marketable title, right? Then you're going to sell it. The last step is selling this thing. And uh, like Jack was mentioning, and it's what I recommend, pass that bitch off to a real estate agent. <laughs> Honestly, that's it. Jack, you, you made a comment about uh, like paying the commission, you know, when you're, when you're selling it. And I'll, I'll just say this about that. Some people get hung up on that. Some people are like, I'll sell it on my own and not have to pay this commission. And it's like, brother, you're already doing 27 other things for one, yep. right? Pass this off. Pass this off to a realtor who specializes in selling land, who knows how the local contracts work, who will answer all the stupid questions from the, the potential buyers and pay them a commission. If you con if you get a, pro a property at 40 cents on the dollar anyway, who gives a shit if you got to pay a 3% commission? You're still getting paid, you know? Absolutely. That commission payment comes back in droves to you. It's it's a cost that's just part of doing business in this in this industry. And it's one that after years of experience, I can tell you wholeheartedly is well worth it because it allows you to focus on where getting you actually deals. make your money, which is getting the deals. And at the 100%, right 100%. Yep. So that's it, guys. Uh, you, you sell the deal, you let the agent sell it, you make money, and then you rinse and repeat. You do it again. At the end of the day, this whole business boils down to talking with sellers and making offers. You won't get any deals and you won't make any money if you don't just do those two things. So I think we'll wrap it up with that. That is episode two of the dirt to dollars podcast stay tuned for next week and uh we'll be giving you guys a lot of a lot of gems so hopefully you guys got something from today and uh stay tuned for next week